0: thank you Becca if you have your Bibles this morning keep them open right there to John 21 if you don't have one there should be a blue one near you a seat back around you want you to be able to turn there follow along with us and know that what we're talking about this morning isn't our opinion which is ultimately irrelevant but straight from the word of God uh, which contains timeless truths before we jump into this can you uh, join me in a brief word of prayer God, we're thankful for every person in this room this morning. We're thankful for your sovereignty in bringing them here. And we know that you have them here for really distinct purposes, God, and it's for their good. And so around this room, Lord, I pray that we would just submit to what you have, uh, that we would be open to your word. We'd be listeners of it, but most importantly, we'd be doers of it, God, that you would speak, that you would teach, that you would move, uh, that you would shove all distractions out of the way, and that you get the glory from everything that happens here. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got a question for you this morning to start off with. What do you do after you've done something wrong? Corinne and I have four daughters. Our second oldest one is named Gemma. And Gemma's always coming to me with stuff. And, and, and the one thing about Gemma is I always know what she wants by how she approaches me. Before she ever even opens her mouth, if she stops several feet away and starts jumping up and down, that means there's something exciting that I need to go see, right? Before she even says it. If she comes up to me on a full sprint, that means she's probably going to hug me and then want to get in a tickle fight, right? But if she gets close to me and puts her hand on my arm, she wants something, She's going to ask for something. And if the closer she gets, like uncomfortable, doesn't understand personal space boundaries at all, the more and more she wants it. And the quieter she talks, the more that she wants me to give it to her without her mom finding out. So I get really skeptical, right? But whenever she's done something wrong, our super energetic six-year-old moves really slowly. And she hangs her head, and she drags her feet, and she does her best to work up this fake cry which is really not good. She's not a thespian, okay? Uh, it's not in her future. Uh, and then she starts mumbling because she doesn't want to tell me what she has to tell me. And she, I have to make her repeat it several times. And when she finally gets it out about what she's done wrong, she just turns her head and hides. It's a really pathetic display, right? <laughs> but based on her body language, I know before she even speaks, this girl's done something wrong. Right? And this is going to be something that I need to address. And so I'm already thinking in my head, do I, am I gracious here? Am I firm? Like, what, what, I'm just bracing myself because I know she's done something wrong. So what do you do after you've done something wrong? Can we start with just a group confession this morning? Right? Can we all just admit that we're sinners? Right? The, first of all, the Bible says you are. Romans chapter 3 says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us in here have done things that are wrong. Sometimes these are mistakes. Sometimes they're accidents. But often, let's be honest, they're not. Right, you do things that are wrong. We choose. I do things that are wrong. I choose to do them. Okay, and and if we can all agree on that this morning, that will not only shorten our time together, but help me out. I don't have the energy to convince you of multiple things today. You know, I'm getting older. I'm past my prime. There's twin babies at home. All right, so just help me out here. Just admit you're a sinner. Okay. So the question this morning is not, that "Are you a sinner?" The question is this: What do you do after you've sinned? Right? What do you do after you've done something wrong? Because the argument I want to make is this. If, the, if we all do this, right? we all mess up, then we all need a really good strategy for what we should do after we've done something wrong. So what do you do? Here's some things that I've tried in the past. Others have tried them. Uh, we can ignore it. Right? Ho- kind of hope God does the same. Other people do the same. We can conceal it, try to hide it, and then immediately do as much good stuff as we can after to just try, and, to, try to mask it. We can justify it have a really good explanation for why we actually shouldn't be responsible for what we did we can downplay it right it's not that big a deal is it we can blame others this is one of the older strategies you remember in the garden of eden when adam and eve took the fruit what did adam say it wasn't me it was the woman you gave me god right immediately just blame others they talked me into it we can distract people from it point out someone else's flaw yeah i might be bad but you should look at that guy see these are all terrible responses to sin What if there was a good strategy for every single time you mess up? What if there was actually a strategy that you could use as a little child all the way to your olden age? What if there was a strategy we could use in all our relationships and most importantly and especially in our relationship with God? What if your response to sin, instead of causing more pain, actually caused healing? What if instead of repeated cycle, this repeating cycle of sins and failing and sins and failing, your response opened you up to real life change? What if instead of just doubling down on your guilt and and despair, your response to your sin brought about hope? Well, today in John 21, and we get a close-up on Peter shortly after the greatest failing in his life. You see, when Peter denied Jesus... He, he turned his back on someone who not only loved him, but poured into and invested in him for three years. When he denied Jesus, Peter revealed that his confidence in himself proved to him to be just nothing more than a big mouth fool. When Peter denied Jesus, this was not some private trip up. This was an incredibly public failing, the shame of which had the chance to stick to him and his reputation forever. When Peter denied Jesus, this was a deeply personal, hurtful sin. And in John chapter 21, what we see is we see Jesus lead Peter to a point of restoration. And I'm most interested today in how he did that. Because what I want to argue to you is that that what Jesus does is lays out a pattern for us to follow. So Becca read for you verses 15 to 19. I want to give you, in case you weren't here last week, just the entire context of John 21. Jesus, at the start of John 21, Jesus has already died on the cross and he's risen from the dead. And in chapter 20, he appeared to disciples twice. But at the beginning of John chapter 21, Peter is getting a little bored. He's getting a little restless. And so he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go fishing. And six disciples, six other disciples joined him. And John tells us they went out and they fished all night. They caught absolutely nothing. And in the morning, Jesus comes showing up on shore, only they don't recognize him. And so he calls out to them. And he suggests that they toss their nets on the right side of the boat. And when they throw the nets on the right side, there's so many fish that they catch, they can't even pull the nets in the boat, and that's when John recognizes it's the Lord, and so they know they're dealing with Jesus. And Peter does a Peter thing; he jumps out, swims to the shore, totally pointlessly, because when he gets to the shore, he realizes I have to go back and help him with the boat. So then he has to swim back the boat and help him pull it in, right? But then eventually they all join Jesus on the shore. And there's this really important detail in verse nine that tells us that Jesus started a fire, right? and then he's cooking breakfast for them. And in verse 15, Rebecca started reading for you today. We're told that they've all finished now; breakfast is over. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, if you're here last week, Adam preached on just the importance of remembering, how important it is to remember your past, what you've been saved, how important it is to remember all the times God has been faithful to you. Apparently, Jesus listened to Adam's sermon. Because did you notice everything he set up here? Did you catch it all? The setting that they're in, the breakfast, his words, the question he's asking, all of these things are not by accident. They're all designed to trigger Peter's memory and make him remember. I want to break them down for you. The first, verse 9 tells us that he built the fire. Do you remember back in John 18, the detail we were told? We're going to put this on the screen for you. John 18, verses 17 through 18. This is when Peter denied Jesus. It says, the woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I'm not. Look at verse 18 tells us. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Then, down in verse 25, meanwhile, as Simon Peter, he's still where? He's still standing by the fire, warming himself. And they asked him again, You're not one of his disciples, are you? He, decided, he denied it, saying, No, I'm not. So, in Peter's greatest fail in the moment, he's standing by a fire, warming himself. And in verse 9, we're told, same exact language, that Jesus has built a fire of burning coals. Now, there are a few things, I would argue, that strike your senses more than a fire. You've got the smoke, you've got the smell, there's the crackling of the wood, the popping of the coals, just the sight of it, the sparks shooting. You know what Luke tells us? The Gospel of Luke tells us that after. Peter's third denial of Jesus that Jesus looked across the courtyard and his eyes met Peter's as he stood by the fire. And so, get this the last time Peter looked through the smoke and sparks and the coals and his eyes met Jesus, it was the moment of his life that he regretted the most. And here in John 21, Jesus brings Peter back to a fire and he looks at him across it again and he asks, Do you love me? It's just the start. What name is it called? Does he say, Peter, do you love me? No, he says, Simon. Now, when Jesus met Peter, his name was Simon. That was the name that his father and mother gave him, Simon, son of John. And you know what Simon was? Simon was a fisherman. And yet, when he meets Jesus back in John 1, if you're here with us 18 and a half months ago, and we went through John 1, right? Jesus meets him and says, no, no, your name will now be called Peter because I, you have a new name and you have a new calling. Now you're going to be fishers of men. But what did Jesus find Peter doing on this morning? He's returned back to his life of fishing. Make no mistake, hearing Jesus call him Simon for the first time in three years definitely made an impact on Peter. It had to hurt. And then he doesn't just ask him, do you love me? What does he say? He says, do you love me more than these? Right? He, he, he's, it's a comparison question. More than what? It, well, there's one argument. He's asking, do you love me more than your old career? Do you love me more than fishing? That's an all right theory, but here's a better one. It's not just Jesus and Peter at this breakfast, is it? And in Matthew 26, we're told this detail, that on the night in the night of, the, of Peter's betrayal, at the last supper beforehand, Peter was declaring his devotion to Jesus, and he said, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Do you know what he's saying there? He's talking in front of the rest of the disciples, and said, the rest of these guys may fail you, Peter, or Jesus. They might all bail on you, but I won't. And not only did he fail Jesus, but now he's being asked about it in front of the men that he declared that he was more faithful and more devoted than. This is becoming a very uncomfortable breakfast for Peter. But we're going to watch as it becomes a very good thing for him because there's a confession in here. We can know just by how John wrote the story that all these reminders work. This all, everything Jesus did brought Peter to a point of remembering and confronting his own sin. And, and we can miss this in English. Right, but I'm telling you, Peter owns up to it. Here's, here's the issue. Here's the hurdle we have this morning. And the, John was written in Greek, and in the Greek language, there's two words, two different words that we translate into English as love. But these two words mean different things. All right, the first Greek word that we translate as love is agape. This is a devoted, unbreakable, committed, sacrificial love. This is the word that God uses in his, in his Bible when he talks about his love for us. The second Greek word that that is also translated love into our English language is phileo. And this word means to treat affectionately, right? To be kind, to welcome or befriend. Now, both are positive. Okay, both are good things, but phileo is not even close to the same level as agape. It's not even close. And the interesting part is this in John 21 and verse 15, when Jesus asked Peter, Do you love me? He says, Do you agape love me? And you know what Peter says? When we read, you know that I love you, what he says is, you know, Lord, that I phileo love you. And there's another word you need to know. The Greek word there for for know is not just to know, but to see. So I don't want you to get caught up in a language lesson this morning. So just hear me. This is what this means. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me with a committed, devoted, sacrificial love? And Peter's response is this. Lord, you saw it. You were there and saw it with your own eyes. You know that my love for you only goes so far and then it stops. You know I don't love you in the way that I thought I did. Because you saw it. This is a powerful, moving confession by Peter. And it's brought about by this reality. That Jesus knew. Can I tell you something today that should be both terrifying and encouraging? Your sin is known by Jesus. Jesus. It's known fully. In fact, in Psalms, we're told to to actually ask him to forgive us of sins in our hearts that we don't even know about. Which means he knows there's sin in your heart that you haven't even discovered. He knows of your sin before you even commit it. And so this is why it should be terrifying. If you're living under the assumption this morning that you can somehow sneak something by God, that you're foolish enough to believe that you can hide anything from him, then yes, that should scare the daylights out of you, and I'm not going to take that from you. Here's why it's encouraging for those of you who are in Christ. He's never shocked by you. Do you know that? He's never shocked by you. He's never taken aback by you. He knew what he was getting. the Bible tells us that on the cross, he traded his righteousness for our sin, that he knew that was the transaction, and he did it anyways. And so whenever you sin, he doesn't see it and get surprised. He's not like, oh, Adam, what is that? Right? Nick, what are you doing? That that, doesn't happen. He's heartbroken by it. He's heartbroken by what it's going to do in your life, but he's not shocked. Which means this, he's never once regretted saving you. Not one time. Has he regretted forgiving you? Not one time will he ever regret pouring his grace out on you? Not one time will he ever regret saving you because he knew what he was getting in you. He knew it ahead of time. So give Peter this much. He doesn't try and hide it. He doesn't try to explain it. He doesn't try to justify it or downplay it or blame others. He doesn't say, God, Jesus, you didn't know the danger I was in. You didn't know it. me and John were the only two there. The rest ran away. No, he just wears it. He owns it. I'm a fraud. I'm not who I thought it was. I don't love you like I said. I don't love you like you deserve. I don't love you like I should. At which point, Jesus just crushes Peter, right? Right? He says, aha, I got you, you foolish blowhard. Wait until you see the reckoning that I'm going to unload on your life because of the embarrassment that you brought on me in my name, you rebellious child. Wait, that's not in there, is it? What does he say? He says, feed my lambs. Do you know what that means? That is Jesus beginning to paint the picture of the remainder of the call on Peter's life. It's Jesus telling Peter, I'm not done with you yet. Your story is not over. That, that failing will not define you. I'm only a few brushstrokes into the masterpiece that I'm painting on your soul and for your life. Because your sin isn't just known by Jesus. Your sin is actually safe with Jesus. 1 John chapter 1 tells us this. It says that if we claim that we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. To hide our sin from Jesus is not only foolish because we can't hide anything from him. It's also foolish because there's no safer place to take your sin than in Jesus. I mean, do you actually understand what happened on the cross? Jesus didn't, go, didn't get thrown out there and die peacefully. The wrath and anger of God on sin was poured out on him. Every ounce of God's anger that was stored up against sin was unleashed on Jesus so that what he could offer in its place was grace and forgiveness and love and eternal life. The Bible is clear. You are a sinner. You do things that are wrong. And the worst possible idea is to act like you aren't. It's the height of foolishness. But the best thing that you can do is come to Jesus Christ freely admitting that you're a sinner, freely admitting that you have messed up, freely admitting that you need saving and there's nothing you can bring on your own to earn God's favor. Because there is no safer place in the world for a sinner to be than humbly at the feet of Jesus confessing their sins. He's already paid your price. He's already taken your place. He will respond to you in the same kindness and grace and restoration that he showed Peter. Now the breakfast continued, Jesus asked Peter a similar question, but this time he drops the more than these. He just says, do you love me? See, it's not about them anymore, it's just about him and, and Peter, and Peter and Jesus, and he says, again, do you agape love me? And Peter's response is the same, Lord, you saw it. You saw it. I only phileo love you. And then he asks a third time, only this time Jesus is the one who switches the language. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you phileo love me? Is that all you do? Is that your level? And John tells us that Peter is hurt by this because now Jesus and Peter, all the disciples, everyone's on the same page. They know who he is. There's been a question for every denial. There's a recognition of Peter's fear. There's a lowering of the standard. And he says, you know, Lord, you know all things. You know that's who I am. Now, why do all this? Why the fire? Why the, calling him Simon? Why the other disciples sitting there? Why the three questions? Why? I mean, it's true that he responds with kindness, but isn't this kind of overkill? What is Jesus trying to do? Well, there's at least twofold purposes here. Number one, he's restoring Peter because after every single confession, he tells Peter, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, uh, feed my sheep. He's he's calling on, there's a calling on Peter's life that he's going to lead Jesus' church after this. And if Peter is going to lead that church, he needs to be restored. Number one, he's restored in the eyes of these other disciples who all all know full well his failure, who were all sitting there when he said he was better than them, right? They need to witness this. Because after this, they're going to serve with and even serve under Peter. They needed to see this. Peter needed it himself, right? Not only for his confidence, but because, because what Jesus understands better than any of us do is the destructive power of unrepentant sin in our lives. And so, all of this, the whole point of this was to just give Peter an opportunity to come clean, own it, and confess his sin. And, and credit to Peter, he did. This is so much more important than we realize. When we confess our sins to Jesus, 1 John says he's faithful and just to forgive us. He cleanses us. He restores us. He heals us. He brings renewal. But sins that we don't confess to him, or sins that we don't repent of, that word means just to turn from and try and avoid in the future, those sins that we hold on to, those are the sins that destroy us. Because your sin is unconquerable without Jesus. You have no chance of forgiveness on your own. You have no hope of overcoming by your own power. You have no shot at freedom over that struggle within your own means. You have no possibility of life change without the gracious love of Jesus on your life and in your sinful heart. If Peter had not taken his sin to Jesus and confessed it, that sin would have owned him the rest of his life. He'd have been forever stained as that one disciple who denied Christ He'd have remained stuck in the shame and guilt of that night. It would would have wrecked him for the rest of his days. He would have never experienced the freedom of forgiveness and the relief of grace. His failure would always be before him, paralyzing him from ever moving forward. And it would have affected his relationship with the disciples. It would have limited his potential and it would have brought the work of Christ in his life to a screeching halt. Jesus was vividly reminding Peter of his failing because Peter had to come clean. He had to confess it. He had to own it. It was for his good. And what Jesus is telling Peter and telling all of us is this, own your sin or it will own you. Do you realize such a great amount of sin's power resides in secrecy? Did you know Peter had an ongoing habitual sin? It is clear if you read the Gospels. His whole life, Peter was all about Peter. He was always the first to speak. He was always the first to volunteer because he believed he was better and he was more awesome and he was more devoted than all the rest. And throughout throughout the Gospels, we have story after story of Jesus being the first to act and the first to speak. And they always look good at the start. But right, he's the first one out of the boat, and those first couple steps, he's walking on the water. He's the first one to claim that Jesus is the Messiah. But then you keep reading, and, and all of a sudden you see Peter sinking, and, and four verses after saying Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is calling Peter the devil. Right, and it never ends well. And here's why. His most consistent sin was his belief in himself, his reliance on himself. And Jesus knew he had to root that out of him. And so he called him out. Do you Agape me more than these do you even agape me or do you just phileo me now not only are you and I sinners this morning but but for all of us I would argue this that you either have a habitual consistent sin in your life or there's one you've had to overcome something that that you've consistently struggled with is a trap that you've fallen into time after time for some people it's, it's just pride it's just complete reliance on self and your goodness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this deal with God. Hey, I'm a good enough person. For others, it's anger. Your, your temper can just flare up in a moment. For some of you in here, it's something that you just keep looking at the internet again and again and again and again. For others, it's just this idea of greed and materialism. Your stuff is never enough. Your money is never enough. It's never good enough, so you just keep building more and acquiring more. For others, it's, it's just this attitude and harshness towards others. You're so quick to be critical of other people. For some, it's judgmentalism. You, you immediately assume the worst in others, and you, and you don't even have to try to do that. Have you taken that to Jesus? I'm not asking if you've asked for forgiveness. My goodness, I hope you have. But have you had a Jesus and Peter conversation? Well, you simply just owned it. Said, Lord, I, I'm a fraud. I am a sinner. I'm a mess. There's so much darkness in my heart. And I'm telling you now, if you want real freedom from that ongoing struggle and you truly confess it to him you own it he's going to ask you to take some steps he will ask you and lead you to make some real changes in your life to actually give things up to feel a cost of getting the freedom of that he's going to likely ask you to confess this consistent struggle to someone else and by the way if this is a secret struggle you're the only one knows about this he's definitely going to ask you to do that Because you need to come out of the darkness and into the light. You need the accountability, love, and prayers of someone in your life who not only loves you, but is trying to follow after Jesus as well. And if you're sitting this morning saying, I don't don't even know who I could share this with, I'll make it real easy for you. Who's the one person in the world that you don't want to know about the struggle? Who's the one person you've tried to hide it from for years maybe the most? That's who you should tell. Because that will be your declaration to Christ, that you are simply done with this sin. That you're actually serious about getting rid of it. And you you want Jesus to bring the freedom that his word and ability promises. It's just that freedom never comes in hiding. It doesn't happen there. And I'm telling you, if God is leading you to do this, you're going to find them to be gracious as well. Because if, if you're both followers of Christ, your sins should be safe in your marriage. Your sins should be safe in the body of Christ. Your sins should be safe within our friendships with other believers. Can, can we just do each other, all of us, a favor and assume that none of us are perfect? Can we just, can we just settle on that today? We, as the church of Jesus have told in Ephesians 2, that we are trophies of his grace. It does not say that we're trophies of our goodness. Or it doesn't say that we've got it all put together. No, we're trophies of his grace, It means that we put on display how awesome God is to sinful, failing people. Because we need, we all need grace. We all need forgiveness. We all need to be redeemed and restored. All of us are level at the foot of the cross as unworthy sinners, begging our Lord for forgiveness. And so we're all going to make a mess of things. We'll all screw up. We'll all fail and sin. And so the big question is, what do we do after? And John twenty one is telling us this: we need to take it very seriously. We don't try and downplay it, we don't try and hide it, no, we run to Jesus and we lay it all out before him and then we do what he asks of us in response. The worst possible thing you can do is let that sin fester because unrepentant sin owns you and it consumes you, it kills everything it touches and it brings the work of God in your life to a screeching halt. Who knows what God has in store for you if you'll simply just get out of the way? But when you've made a mess of things, when you've screwed up, when you've done something you know is wrong, there's simply no better strategy than just owning it and taking it to Jesus. Hiding it fixes nothing. Downplaying it fixes nothing and often adds to the hurt of those you've offended. Justifying it only makes you feel better, and that's only temporarily. But coming to Jesus, confessing and owning and asking him for his grace and forgiveness, that alone is what brings healing. That alone brings life change. That alone brings restoration and redemption and hope. Because Jesus alone can forgive you of your sins. Because Jesus alone is the one who died for you. And he alone has the power to restore you. And then he alone then uses redeemed sinners for his glory. Because there's one more aspect to this breakfast that we have to see this morning. Look at verse 18. John 21, verse 18, Jesus is speaking to Peter, and he says, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. That's a weird verse, but luckily John explains it for us. Look at verse 19. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. Do you understand what just happened there? Do you remember what Jesus or what Peter told Jesus in John 13 the night of the last supper just hours before he denied him? He said no matter what Lord, I will follow you even if I have to lay down my life for you. Even if I have to die for you, I will never turn my back on you. Just a few hours later that was proven to be a fraud and he's a failure. And then Jesus brings him to the fire he calls him simon he asks him three times one for every denial he lands with phileo and then peter cops to it no i'm not who i thought i was back then and you know what jesus says after that no you're not but you will be you will be and the reason is why the reason why is peter because i'm not done with you yet Since you owned your sin, not only do I forgive you, but I'm not even done, I'm not done using you. So you need to go, you need to feed my lambs, and you need to take care of my sheep, and you need to lead and protect and love and serve my church. And there's a day coming, Peter, when you will walk the road that you thought you were ready to walk on before. And on that day, you're not going to cower in fear. On that day, you will not deny me. On that day, you're not going to embarrass yourself. On that day, you're going to face The persecution with the steely resolve that comes from me, and you will follow me to the cross, and you will give your life for my namesake and my kingdom, and you will step into your eternal reward as someone who overcame, because you're not who you thought you were, Peter, but you will be, because I'm not done with you. Can you imagine this morning taking your sins to a God who loves you like that, a God who not only sees your sin fully, but also sees all the wonderful things he's going to do in you still? That God's love for you is optimistic because he knows he has not finished painting the masterpiece of your life yet. That it doesn't matter how bad your sin is, it does not have to define you because he's not done working. Listen, when I was younger, I was in third or fourth grade, I'm not sure, sometime around that age, but my parents, they had five kids and so they wanted to have free babysitting and so they left and left my older brothers who were in middle school in charge. Terrible idea. I love my parents, terrible idea, Okay. I don't remember all of the night, how it unfolded, but I can tell you this, the only certainty is that they were being awful to me, just treating me with horrible injustice. Right? And, and I could actually bring my sisters up on stage in and the morning, they would vouch that, they would, they, they backed me up on this, that they were being horrible to me. And so right in the middle of this injustice, okay, I get so angry that I swing my foot and I kick the wall. Now, luckily for me, I missed the stud, okay? so I didn't break a toe or anything. But unluckily for me, I missed the stud. And so my foot went right through the drywall, created this huge hole in the wall, and I'm telling you what, the instant fear that rushed over my body. Do you know why? It's because I knew Mike Parks was coming home later that night. And I I looked at the wall. I didn't even turn around and look at my jerk brothers, right? I just looked at the wall, and all I did was I, I sprinted upstairs and shut my door and just sat and waited. And I can still, I mean vividly today, I can still remember the headlights hitting the window as they pulled in. I remember hearing the front door open. I remember just the muffled voices of conversations. I remember every single step my dad took up those stairs. I remember even the door handle turning. At this point, I couldn't even breathe, right? Now, what I don't remember is the conversation, maybe because I passed out, I'm not sure, but The only thing I remember of it is that it wasn't as big a deal as I made it out to be. That he was more gracious than I thought. And so my biggest, believe it or not, my biggest regret that night isn't kicking the wall. I love kicking walls. I still do it all the time. I kicked one this week, right? My biggest regret is that I wasn't waiting on him when he got home. That I wasn't man enough to sit in that living room, wait for that door to open and say, hey, I need to talk to you. I did something, it was wrong, and I'm sorry. Because you know what, you know what I've learned in my life? Every time I've had a conversation like that with my God or my parents or my wife, or my boss or my friend, beforehand I've always psyched myself out. They they're not going to be gracious to me. They're going to hate me. They're going to leave me. They're going to not love me. They're going to be angry forever. It's never going to be the same and it's never been that. I mean, certainly there are consequences. To our sin, there have been consequences of my sin. I'm not saying those are unavoidable, they are those are avoidable because they're not, but the grace that came from each of the times, where I've simply just had the courage to own it. Because whenever you do that, you lessen the hold and power that sin has over you and own your sin, or it will end up owning you. I want you to imagine this morning just the victory i'm talking about actual real lasting victory over the struggle that you've had for years i'm not going to tell you today that you'll ever conquer sin in this life but i'm telling you if you're a follower of christ there needs to be sins that you have conquered that you can stand in freedom over them and i'm one who can claim that i want you to imagine having freedom of sin and death in your life i want you to imagine actually not having to keep any secrets Someone coming up and saying to you, guess what I found out about you this week? And you have no fear at all. What is it? I want you to imagine more and more barriers between you and your God and you and your spouse and you and your family. Just, just falling away and being removed and enjoying just in this air of intimacy and openness. I want you to imagine being connected to and serving a God who forgives us all our sins and says, I'm, I'm not done with you yet. That sin won't define you. I want you to imagine just giving yourself to a community of grace, a community of fallen sinners who've been redeemed only by Jesus and give each other the benefit of the doubt. I want you to imagine us all being quick to forgive and slow to get angry and steadfast in patience and choosing optimism over skepticism for, with each other. And if you... Want this morning, If you want forgiveness for your sins and eternal life in heaven, you must find that in Jesus Christ. I can't make it clearer. It's the only place you can turn. If you're a follower of his and you want power and freedom over that struggle, you must find that in Jesus Christ. It's the only place you can turn. You'll never do it by your own initiative. You'll never do it by memorizing your own things or doing your own strength. You must find it in him. Because he heals, and he forgives, and he restores, and then he calls us broken, redeemed sinners to bring him glory. But first we have to own it. Lord, I'm a sinner in desperate need of you, and I trust. I don't trust an ounce in my goodness. I don't trust in my power. I don't trust in being a better person than other people. I don't trust in religion. I lay all of me out before you, all of my sins, all of my imperfections, all of my weaknesses, everything I've done wrong, and I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to give me life. I ask you to bring freedom and victory and hope, and I'll do whatever you tell me to do. If you've never done that, then you've never been forgiven of your sins, and you still owe God a debt, and the cross does not apply to you, and your situation right now is that you remain an enemy of his. You must take that step this morning, and even if you have, this process is not a one-time deal. His grace applies forever, but the process of confession and repentance should remain a part of a follower of Christ's life until he takes us home. Own your sin or it will end up owning you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for stories like Peter's. Because God, we can all identify with someone who thought they were on the right track, someone who thought they had it all together and that it all blew up in the face by their own doing. Lord, all of us, Deep down, believe the lie that, that, that we can be good people in front of you. We can do enough that we can just be a nice person and eventually that will appease you. But Lord, your, your word tells us that even our righteousness is like filthy rags before you. We're all Peter who believed in our power and believed in our goodness and we failed in the most public and embarrassing ways possible. But God, I thank you for grace. Grace. I thank you for getting to watch Jesus restore that man because that can be our story. I thank you for the person in here this morning God who 's never surrendered their life to Jesus, never come to you and asked you for forgiveness of sins and eternal life, made their story today mere peter 's. I pray that right now they 're sin they 'll just give their life to you and Father, for those of us who 've done that but, with, but we have maybe there 's a consistent struggle in our lives a habitual sin that's been owning us or maybe there's different aspects of our heart different aspects of our life that that we've yet to surrender to you and we thought maybe we could just justify it maybe we could downplay it i still go to church i still do these things maybe it's not that big a deal god today may we be like peter and just own it and we just lay bare our entire selves before you and do whatever you ask of us in response Get serious about the freedom you provide. Make us the Church of Peter's redeemed, broken, sinful people who have your power on us and bring you glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and sing.